Hey there, Duke fans. Welcome to episode 272-70 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We're here the morning after, the morning after a Duke loss. We hate it when they lose, but there are things to learn, things to grow on, right? That's the mantra. Anyway, I am Jason Evans. I am your host. I am joined, as I always am, by Sam Klein and Donald Wine. Sam, I'll start with you. How's it going in your neck of the woods up there in Boston? I'm doing okay. It is a bright, sunny morning. I, I guess I'm doing better than the Duke team is because that was a, it was deflating, I, I think, from last night. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to get to that in just a moment before we do. Donald, how's Washington? Uh, Washington is Washington. Quiet for now. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say it's quiet. Today is another historic day. We just get, we just keep racking them up in 2021. Yeah. Remember when we thought 2021 would be different from 2020? Ha! Spoiler alert. Why did we think that? <laughs> I didn't think that. I just uh, hoped, <laughs> hoped and wished. But, you know, we can't, we can't do that too much. <laughs> anyway, as, as Donald sits in the uh, seat of power um, in Washington, we will move on to the Blue Devils uh, and their loss last night to the Virginia Tech Hokies. Blue, Duke, Duke goes down 74 to 67. Um, the story of the game is not the final score. The story of the game is, well, I, I'll, guys, we, we will do it as we always do. Um, with our headline first, uh, Donald, I'll go to you first. What is your headline from this game? Cold shooting once again downs Duke. I think it's pretty simple. I think that is pretty simple as well. Uh, Sam, what's your headline? Ooh, I was going with inconsistency dooms Duke because I think that it's not just cold shooting, but also on defense. And we will, of course, talk about all of that. Yes, and my headline is Duke digs another deep hole, but cannot dig out this time. Uh, you know, on the last podcast, gentlemen, I commented on the fact that we seem to fall behind or, or play poorly, at least, uh, virtually every game lately uh, in the first half. And then we sort of find our footing late in the first half and then uh, overtake teams in the second half. And I said, boy, I just wonder what's going to happen when we play a really good team. Are we going to be able to, to do that? And lo and behold, here, here we saw it happen as we fell behind. I believe it was 18. Duke was down 18 points at one point in the first half, clawed back and, and made it a little more competitive by halftime. Um, and then came out the second half, you know, gangbusters, um, uh, you know, outscored them uh, pretty resoundingly over the first, you know, eight or so minutes of the second half, and then um, just couldn't quite get over the, the mountaintop. Uh, so uh, we also have good news and bad news as, as we cover these recaps. And Sam, I'll go to you first, and let's start with good news, um, because there, there, is, there are things that we can be pleased about in this game. I actually think there's surprisingly a lot to be happy about in this game. I want to start with something that didn't make a huge impact on the final score, but was very reassuring for Duke fans, which is that Jalen Johnson was back on the court. He only played four minutes. He, it seems like he only came in because of foul trouble for Jamin Brakefield in the first half, but he was out there and he looked like he could run the floor. And I'm excited for Duke to get a few more days of layoff here so that he can get reintegrated into the lineup because as effective as Duke was, especially on offense in the last couple games, Jalen Johnson has the ability to take this team to the next level. So my first big good news is four minutes of not looking lost out on the court by Jalen Johnson. The other guy who didn't play that many minutes, but who I thought had a tremendous impact on this game was Joey Baker on both the offensive side and the defensive side on, on defense. He, he blocked a couple of shots and was able to be pretty disruptive to Virginia tech in his limited minutes. We haven't seen a ton from Joey Baker this season. And 
we've talked about how there is certainly an opportunity for him to break out at either end of the court and be really effective for this team. So I was very excited to see his impact in this game. I think Joey Baker has a ton of potential. Like as I was watching him last night, I keep being reminded like he has one, he has a, a pretty good shot when he gets it off. He, he, he certainly needs to get faster at it. He needs to be more consistent, but we know that he has a good shooting motion. He also has pretty good size for being a, a two, maybe a three in the NBA. He's like a six, seven, six, eight guy. I think he's bigger than we think he is. And he's active on defense in a way that would lend itself to him being one more effective for this team, but two, also potentially being an effective NBA player. I, I think across the board, we'd, we'd fairly underrate Joey Baker's potential because he just hasn't shown it. And he's, and he's already now one of the oldest guys on the team. So I was very encouraged by Joey Baker. I'll stop there. There are a couple other things that I, that I want to talk about, but I want to make sure that, that you guys get involved here. So Jalen Johnson and Joey Baker, my two big takeaways, unfortunately not guys that, that got big minutes last night for Duke, which I think is telling. Yeah, and, and let me follow on your Joey Baker comment because uh, I agree. I think I texted you guys and I said that Joey Baker was earning his minutes. He played. He did not play much in the first half. He played a lot in the second half. And he earned those minutes by playing hard on defense. He had, you said a couple, he actually had three, three block shots. And, and let's be clear, Joey Baker, not a guy with particularly long arms, not a guy, you know, he has decent size, like Sam said, but not a guy who's an imposing force around the basket. He's not blocking a lot of shots because of his physical ability. He's blocking shots because he, he knows where to be on defense. He, he knows how to time his jumps. Um, and, and that sets him apart from a lot of the other guys in this team. There are still plenty of guys in this team who don't seem to know where they need to be on defense. Uh, but Joey, you know, his third year in the program clearly has learned that and and is turning it into a valuable skill. Uh, I, I have to wonder if he's going to see, you know, a tick up in minutes uh, in, in coming games. Duke did not use its bench a ton in this game. And Duke is sort of searching for one more guy off the bench. And I, I think Joey, with his defense, at least maybe playing his way into that. Goodness knows. Gosh, can we get him a shot? Guys only attempted 10 three pointers all year. And, and we know he's a great three-point shooter. We've seen it in the past. Um, I, I wish we could find a way to get him more shots. I, I also have more good news stuff, but, but Donald, let me go to you. Um, give us your first, first dose of good news. Well, I know we're going to talk about these three players. So I'll just mention right off the bat, Matthew Hurt, Jeremy Roach, DJ Stewart, I thought were the three best players for us on the floor last night. Uh, we'll start with Matthew Hurt, and we can obviously go into a couple of other guys. But Matthew Hurt, you know, another double-double. Uh, and it seemed like at some points the, the offense was going through him. The aggressiveness that we've seen from him this year uh, on the offensive end has been great on defense. He had 11 rebounds uh, and really was trying to – do all he could to keep us in the game with Jeremy Roach. Jeremy Roach, I thought also had a really good game because he was able to take the ball to the rack, uh, you know, pretty efficiently for at certain points of the game we were. And, and also he would hit a couple of threes, but when it comes to him, I feel like the ball is more comfortable in his hands. At least it was last night than it was in the hands of any other player uh, because he was able to withstand the pressure that Virginia tech was giving us 
uh, when we were on offense and really taking what was given to him to make the shots necessary. He went six for 14 with 14 is a lot of shots, but he, I felt like he was way more efficient than he has been in previous games with regards to taking the ball to the rack, distributing the ball and scoring. So uh, I, I, I think those two guys had the best games. Uh, and I know DJ Stewart was also one that you know was in double figures, had good stretches as well. And I know we'll talk about him as well. I didn't want to skip over those guys and in, in, in noting that they had good games. Jeremy Roach, I thought in particular, had, had a few really nice stretches, both on offense and on defense in this game. It's been, it's been slow going for Jeremy Roach kind of getting up to speed in, in, in this season. And I thought that last night was one of the most complete games that he's played. Look, he could have made more shots. I think the whole team could have made more shots. We'll certainly get to the three-point shooting in the, in the bad news. But I thought that Jeremy Roach looked really competent. And if this team is going to reach Final Four-type potential, Jeremy Roach has to be a really good ACC-level starting point guard. So the thing I was going to say about Jeremy Roach and DJ Stewart is I, I, I agree with, with Donald. They both showed that they can slice to the basket and make buckets from difficult angles. Uh, both of them had, had shots where I was like, oh, th- there's no way this one's going in. And, and then they made it. I mean, th- these guys are really adept at that kind of thing. Uh, I, I don't want to, I, I need to temper that good news with just a touch of bad, which is that neither one of them are doing a very good job of finding their teammates. Like they're great at creating for themselves. <laughs> but um, Jeremy Roach had one assist. D.H. Stewart had two assists. They, they do need to find a way to create a little bit more for other people because the ball is in their hands a lot. Uh, they, they need to be generating opportunities for other teammates a, a little bit more. They're sort of putting their head down and going to the basket. I'd rather the head stay up so that they can, um, you know, maybe find an open teammate now and again. And, and I'll finish up my good news really quick and then get back to you guys because I'm sure you guys have, have a bit more um, good news to mention before we get to the bad. Uh, I'll finish up my good news with defense. Um, uh, we held a very good Virginia Tech team to only 28 points in the second half. Uh, they, they are a team who is certainly capable of scoring a lot more than that. That's a 56-point pace. You hold an opponent to 56 points, you're going to win a lot of games. So, so I was very encouraged by our defense, especially in that second half. And, and I thought just the bottom line for me is we, we fought back nicely. We showed we can be a really good team when we play consistent defense and when we hit a few shots. But God, we are maddeningly inconsistent in that regard. Um, the defense was atrocious at times in the first half and we could not hit shots in the second half but i'm now i'm getting into my bad news i'm gonna get to that in just a minute donald let me come to you finish off your good news first and then we'll get to the bad i think when it comes to you you mentioned the the defense in the second half i think we start out really well in the second half this is like the third straight game that we've been able to come out strong in the second half and really eat into a lead or or even eventually take the lead Uh, we just didn't get to that point to, uh, last night, but I do think that is there. I, I think, and we'll talk about this a little bit. We need to keep that energy going from the get-go. And I, I think when we talk about uh, what Coach K and Jeremy Roach had to say in the media availability last night, that was a very poignant subject. I wanted to finish off the good news by talking about rebounding. Uh, on the whole, th- this does not go for down the stretch, but on the whole, Duke out-rebounded Virginia Tech and was able to grab a higher percentage of uh, of their misses for offensive rebounds than Virginia Tech did. 
down the stretch, there were so many times when Duke came down the floor and wasn't able to get that offensive rebound off of a bad missed either three or, or long jumper. And I think that's what doomed Duke really in the last few minutes of the game. But throughout the game, really good on the rebounding margin for Duke, something that hopefully is going to improve throughout the season, especially as Jalen Johnson gets reintegrated into the lineup. Well, as Donald says, um, we now have to eat our veggies. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's talk about the bad news from this game. Um, and, and, and in fairness, we should note that there's been a fair bit of discussion about bad news already. <laughs> uh, but, but guys, you know what? I'm going to take a, the liberty of starting myself, and then I'll come to the two of you. Um, and my first bad news is streaks. And by streaks, I mean this. There was a stretch in the first half from the 11-minute mark to the five-minute mark where Virginia Tech scored on nine consecutive possessions. That is super efficient offense on their part, and they deserve plenty of credit. But that was also Duke not challenging them, not forcing them into difficult shots. It wasn't like Virginia Tech was hitting the hardest buckets during that stretch of nine consecutive scoring possessions. It was that Virginia Tech was getting what they wanted and Duke wasn't preventing them from getting what they wanted. And that has been a bad first half habit for this team all season long. And by the way, when Duke was challenging them, it led to foul trouble. I, I mentioned at the top that the reason that we even saw Jalen Johnson is because Jamin Brakefield got in a bit of foul trouble early. Duke wasn't able to play good enough defense to stop Virginia Tech without having to foul them. And, and that's, that's why I said at the, at the beginning that my headline was about inconsistency. It wasn't about something that Duke was particularly doing bad throughout the game. It's that they, it took them a few minutes to get going. And, you know, Jeremy Roche basically talked about how they didn't have a lot of energy in the press conference after the game. He, you know, quoting from him, he said, we were trying to get our energy up the first 20 minutes. We weren't playing with, enough, with much energy. So just trying to create that for ourselves and get stops on the defensive end, it's trying to speed them up. Like those sort of things, we see that in the second half and we don't see it in the first half. But the problem is we, the energy that the other team comes out is usually way higher on another level than what we are seeing from our team. And because of that, we get into these big deficits, 15, you know, 10, 15 points. And when Duke is down 15 points, like that is something that we rarely see from Duke basketball. We usually are in it all the way. And if we, if it's a 10 point victory for the other team, it's usually at the end with free throws, not at the beginning of the game. So that is where the real concern is, is that we're coming out flat every single game. It seems like every game that we have lost, we have come out severely flat and the other team has it. And that has been the difference. Uh, not just the losses I, in some of the wins lately, we've come out flat and we've had to fight back from it. It's been very, very, I don't know how to describe it other than, than disturbing. I mean, if Duke is actually 15 points better than Wake Forest over 40 minutes, the reason that that game ended up being close and the Boston College game ended up being maybe a little closer than we expected it to is because they're, they're coming out slowly and not just putting teams away when, when Duke has clearly a talent advantage over. And look, Duke should have a talent advantage over Virginia Tech too. Virginia Tech does not have as many four- and five-star recruits as Duke does. So even if they're a little bit more experienced and even if they're a little bit better at shooting, Duke should still be better than Virginia Tech by at least five or six points just given the, the difference in talent. I, and So guys, I want to get back to, I was talking about streaks and we talked about the, the disturbing defensive streak in the first half. I want to talk about an offensive streak in the second half that is a bad thing. From the 12-minute mark, until the very last second of the game, Duke missed 12 three-pointers in a row. 
I'm going to repeat that. We missed 12 three-pointers in a row. And I want to be clear about something. They were not bad threes. We were not taking bad shots. A lot of them were open. They were shots that we were working to get. We moved the ball around to get an open three, and we just missed it and missed it and missed it again and again and again. Several of them were backbreakers. Uh, um, Jordan Goldwire missed a three so badly. The ball, it was an air ball, and it sort of turned into an instant fast break for Virginia Tech. This was when it was a really close game with about 10 minutes left. Those kind of misses, they're just killers for you. And, uh, you know, again, Donald, you mentioned it. And I'm going to talk more about the post-game news conference that I was on with Coach K. But uh, we, we just could not hit shots. It, it is really frustrating. Uh, you know, with 13 minutes left, Matthew Hurt hit a three-pointer to make it a one-point game. We didn't score for the next four minutes. In fact, we only hit three more shots over the entire duration of the game. The final 13 minutes of the game, after we made it a one-point game, we only hit three more shots. Again, I'm not including the meaningless three that Jeremy Roach hit at the buzzer. Um, by the way, that meaningless three, the over-under on this game, depending on what casino you bet at, the over-under on this game was either 141 or 141 and a half. That meaningless three at the buzzer caused this final score to get to 141. So if you're a gambler, that could have been a hugely impactful you know, unimportant three-pointer at the buzzer. Bad you know, beats. Bad beats. Bad beats. How much did you feel when Hurt made that shot to to make it a one-point game? Like, I, I, I was sort of feeling before that shot. I think I even texted you guys early in the second half. Like, we've got Duke's got we got him right where, we want right where yeah. they want him. <laughs> and Hurt made that shot. And we're in Castle Coliseum, but there's no one there to cheer on Virginia Tech. If anything, the, the crowd was just split because they said that each player was basically able to have their parents there or, or two people in the stands. So you could hear some cheering going on. Well, it was, two, it was, it was pretty, it, it was, was 250. Much... They, they had, a, they had a, a capacity crowd of 250 people. In exactly. Attendance. So, so, <laughs> so there was no crowd and, and look, that's a, that's usually a tough place for, for Duke to play. No crowd behind them. Duke was surging back, clearly exhibiting the talent, clearly making all the shots. I was so confident. I would have bet a lot of money at that point that Duke was going to win the game because it felt like everything was rolling for them. And yeah, just completely deflating that they just missed shot after shot after shot down the stretch. So in this game, in this game, Duke never led. We got to within one. We never, never. led, never led. The game was only tied for like 19 or 20 seconds. The first 19 or 20 seconds of the game, Virginia Tech then scores. Duke never even tied it again throughout the rest of the game. If you watch the win expectancy, it plummets right at the beginning of the game. It's like about 50-50 at the beginning of the game. I think Duke may have been favored by a point or two, depending on who you asked. But the win expectancy basically plummets when Virginia Tech goes on their very early run, like even before the first media timeout. And even when Duke is on their run early in the second half, it doesn't recover back to 50-50 throughout the game okay we've all been talking but it's only been me doing my bad news so far it's you guys turn <laughs> donald i'll go to you what's your bad news on this game although we've already we've already hit on a lot of it huh <laughs> yeah well i i think the energy was one but i will say this about the energy there's a there's a few stats if you look at a box score that can tell you how the energy flowed throughout the game and who wanted it more those type of intangible type of things right so the stats that i'm going to tell you are always on every single duke box score every single time in the same spot. So you can always check this Virginia tech beat Duke in the following categories points to the paint 36 to 26 points off of turnovers, 16 to nine second chance points, 10 to nine fast break points, 15 to seven bench points, 21 to six. We were statistically lower 
in every single category than we have been at every point at any point this season. If we have an average game in any of those categories, we win this basketball game. And I think that is where the energy comes in. That energy really zapped us in the first half. And we spent so much. And I think Jason, when we were talking about this last night, you even said this, that they spent so much energy to try and catch back up only for them to become frustrated and miss a bunch of shots that they ran out of gas and they just couldn't sustain that. But yep. if you have the energy from the beginning, then you don't have to sustain it. You just have to hold them off, which is a lot easier to do than using all your energy. It's just like, it's just like racing, right? If, you, if you're sitting there drafting, you don't have to waste a lot of energy. But we're in the lead, and you're just sitting there trying to use all the back of the pack, and you're trying to use all your energy to try and catch up. You get it all the way to the front, and the guy who's been coasting the whole time just blows right past you. You know, speaking of average game, if Duke hits – our usual 30, you know, we average about 34% on our threes. If we hit 34, 35% of our threes, Virginia Tech also shoots about the same from three. If they hit 34, 35% of their threes, we would have hit two more. They would have hit one less. We would have won the game. I mean, literally us shooting bad from three, them shooting well from three is the difference in the game. I have become a mini expert this season at how rims sound because we keep hitting them a lot, especially when we're open. And I think, and the thing is like, how do you, how do you, how do you practice that? Right. Like you sit there and you're like, okay, everyone take a hundred open threes. Like they're going to make them in Cameron that will probably, you know, in practice, you probably, you'll probably make 60 out of a hundred. And then you go in the game and all of a sudden we're shooting 25, 26, 28%. That hey, is hard Hurt, to do that. Yeah. Matt Hurt made, made good use of the rim at the end of the first half. So let's not say that the rims are all bad, right? Yeah, all of it. He, I mean, he used every every square inch of that rim. But I mean, that's the point is like some of these things that are I, I know are frustrating for them are things that you can't just say, how do you like, you can't just teach them out of it or can't just say, hey, let's adjust and do it this way. Shooting an open three and it hitting everything but the bottom of the net is something that you can't replicate and is something that you can't practice your way out of. You just have to hope that the next shot goes in shooters mentality. You know, the next one's going to go in, but after a while you start to think just like Wendell Moore said in his press conference a couple weeks ago, I just want to see the ball go through the hoop once. And some of these guys are in that frustration moment where they just keep shooting and it's just not going through. Okay. So uh, Donald's bad news was energy. My bad news was streaks. Um, Don, uh, sorry, Sam, what is your bad news? Offensive creativity. I have seen a lot of different guys for Duke bring the ball up, be it Jordan Goldwire, Jeremy Roach, DJ Stewart, Matt Hurt occasionally, Jalen Johnson when he's healthy. Lots of guys have brought the ball up for Duke this season, but I can't tell that anyone is initiating offense or creating offensive flow. We've seen, and, and you can see this in Duke's low assist numbers, but but just in watching the game, Duke isn't good at at moving the ball like between the perimeter and the interior. They haven't been setting a lot of good screens. The, the kind of flow of the offense outside of wherever the ball is has been limited, and there's a lot of ball stopping and also ball watching going on. So I want to see more movement on offense. I want to see Duke, even if it's just passing around the perimeter a little bit more, which, which I think can get frustrating for some fans to see the ball just going back and forth in the perimeter. But even that has the effect of... of making the defense have to stay on their their heels a little bit and not being able to dig in and, and get more aggressive. Duke invites defensive aggression because they're not able to to move the ball around a lot more and, and not able to set good screens. Guys aren't getting good action off of each other. So I, I just want to see more offensive movement to 
initiate a little bit better and make opposing teams uncomfortable. I will say this. I, I, I think there is a silver lining from this. And that is that we have a week off because I think integrating Jalen Johnson back into the lineup is going to take some time. Uh, we saw that last night he had a, you know, what, four minutes and there were a couple of stretches that he came into the game. He looked fairly decent in one, but it was clear that he just kind of was trying to get his legs. And I think that is going to be a very, a very big key for us, especially in the paint with our defense, because if we can get him back, that'll be fine. We we're not playing this weekend. Me, we, we researched last night. We can't play uh, a makeup game against Pitt or Florida state because they're playing on Saturday. And then we play at Pitt on Tuesday. So we have a week off. This is a chance for them to kind of reintegrate him back into the offense, get back to those basics that they need to do to win and be able to get ready to apply them to Pitt. So I want to go back to Sam mentioned ball movement. Duke, uh, Duke is 150 something in the country. So, you know, right around the middle of the country in assists per field goal, assist percentage. Uh, it's a stat I would really like to see us get better at. Last night we were, we were well below 50%. We had 11 assists on 24 made field, made field goals, which is, you know, even worse than the, the, you know, that stat. It's worse than how we usually are. Uh, we, we've just got to find a way to, as Sam says, move the ball around a little bit more, find other guys, find more easy shots. The thing that struck me throughout this whole game was it felt like Virginia Tech was getting the shot they wanted, getting easy shots. Duke is more talented, as we said, and so we were able to hit more difficult shots, but gosh, it, it'd be really nice to get more easy shots because those are the ones that tend to go in a little bit more. And, and then the last thing I want to mention really quickly in the bad news, our bench, we, we, we get only six points from the bench. I think Sam mentioned this earlier. We only got six points from the bench. I mean, Wendell had five rebounds. We talked about Joey playing really good defense and blocking those shots, but there's very little else. And the, the poor bench production to me, even extends a little bit to, to Jamin Brakefield, um, who started this game. Um, usually he comes off the bench, uh, and I suspect that we're going to see Jalen Johnson back in the starting lineup very, very soon. Um, but Brakefield started, and, and he had a, a couple layups, but, uh, you know, in the first half. Uh, but other than that, he, he, he was, it was one of his least impactful games in a while. Um, and after those early layups, he, he went into ghost mode. I, I barely even saw him or noticed him uh, in the game. And, and Jordan Goldwire also, and this doesn't relate to the bench, but um, look, we don't, we don't count on Jordan to get a lot of offense for us, but it'd be nice if we could hit, I don't know, maybe one field goal in the game. Donald, Donald, wrap it up for me. Yeah, you know, just on the assists and ball movement, I think last night, actually, the ball movement was fairly good. And, and I, I, I agree with you. The stats, like for assists, you want to be able to try and assist on like two thirds of your, of your made baskets. That's a pretty good percentage. Last game, we were a little over 50% and we said that was pretty good for us. And we need to just tick that up a little bit. Our issue is, is we miss a lot of the shots that would become assists. A lot of these open threes aren't, it's not like we're shooting ISO three. So the silver lining in this is that if we start making some threes, the way our ball movement has become to, to get those open threes, those are going to create assists for us as well. So that is where I, I think we, we still, we're not all the way down to the dumps. We, we can sit there and say, hey, if we change this around, a lot of these stats will turn around, bench, everything. Uh, but I do agree with you. The bench needs to step up. The, if you're coming into the game, you have to come in. Even if you're coming in for spot minutes, you got to come in with the energy that, hey, uh, I, I want to be here on this floor. I want to help contribute in time I have out here. 
every guy has to approach the game with that mentality. So we're going to take a quick break now. Um, when we come back, we're going to talk about what Coach K had to say about this game. And we're going to be discussing a weird, wacky commercial and what we think about it. That story after this. All right, guys, we're back, and uh, we, we are not completely done with Virginia Tech game. Donald already spoke a little bit about what Jeremy Roach had to say in the postgame news conference. I was on the postgame um, uh, uh, press Zoom call, and, and I wanted to discuss just very briefly some of the things that Coach K had to say uh, about the team. Um, uh, it, he, he commented, first of all, I thought this was really interesting uh, because we're, we're into mid-January now. It's January 13th. I mean – I was surprised Coach K was still saying this, but he said, Virginia Tech knows who they are and we're still figuring it out. Um, it's pretty far into the season. <laughs> we're into, you know, we're, we're a quarter of the way into our ACC schedule and we're still figuring it out. That's, that's troubling. Um, uh, he, he complimented Virginia Tech for hitting us hard, for playing great D, for being strong and physical and knocking us back. And, and he said, we haven't played anyone in the ACC who's been able to do that so far. Um, and he had a lot to say about Tyrese Radford. You know, we, we spoke a lot about the Duke games. We haven't talked about the Virginia Tech players. Tyrese Radford had a heck of a game. Coach K said Tyrese Radford was the best player on the court. And he thought it was important for our team to see that kind of effort throughout the game and what that kind of effort uh, could do. Um, uh, it was kind of funny. At one point, someone asked him about Jalen Johnson playing a few minutes. And, and he said, you know, was that the plan to play him a couple minutes in the first half? And Coach K said, boy, I wish we had plans. He's like, we don't have plans. We're just trying to figure it out with this team, which, which was a pretty revealing answer, I think. Um, uh, and, and he said that he figures that, uh, that you know, Jalen had only been in one practice up until now. And um, that he probably wasn't ready for this game. They wanted to see if he could give them a little bit of help and a little bit of energy because they needed energy early on. But uh, he thinks that Jalen's going to be very much more ready next week when we play. Jason, your note about Coach K joking that they don't have a plan yet is actually very revealing to me. Not that I think it's a particularly bad indictment of, of Duke or Coach K or the coaching staff's preparation for these games, but just to highlight how random everything is right now that, you know, the games are getting canceled. People are having to sit out practices. Coach K had to be away from the team for what was it? 10 days to, to satisfy Duke's protocol for, for coronavirus. There are so many different, and I, and I, by the way, I don't want this to be an excuse because every team is having to deal with the same level of uncertainty, but just to understand that game to game, these teams are going to look very different depending on one, just who's playing in the game, but two, how much time they've had to prepare for particular opponents. And, and it's adding a level of, of randomness and chaos to the season that, by the way, if we want to go back a few days and look at the college football playoff national championship game, just highlights for you how incredible it was that Alabama was as good as it was this season, given all of these disruptions and, and looking at the basketball season, how amazing it is that, that like Gonzaga and, and Baylor and, and a couple other teams have played as well as they have given all the disruptions that are going on. I think what's happening to Duke is more normal than it is an aberration of, of Duke or the ACC or of, or of coach K. So, so the last thing I will, I wanted to mention about what coach K had to say was uh, he said it took us a half half the game to figure out the level of energy, the level that the game is going to be played at. Um, but, and, and he was proud of our kids for rising to that level, uh, but he said it was just too late, you know, at that point. 
um, which is something we discussed earlier. He, he hopes that we have now learned some lessons. And that's what, that's what I hope. That's sort of my final note on this game is that we now understand the level that we have to play at, the energy that we have to bring when we are playing a top tier ACC team. This is the first top tier ACC team that we have played. Uh, we are a very, very young team that is still figuring things out. Uh, I, I hope that one thing we have figured out now is where we have to be from an energy standpoint from the start of the game. Because if we had brought energy in the first 10 minutes of that game, it's a completely different contest and Duke wins the game. There's little question about that. The rest of the game proved that. So, so uh, you know, that Coach K clearly recognizes that. I hope the team is able to execute on that going forward. I think there's one thing that we've learned this year that is probably the most, I won't say revealing or telling stat about Duke, but one thing that we took for, some people may have taken for granted, but now we're realizing at hardcore this year. Duke is the only team in college basketball that until this year had never had to figure out how to get up for a game because every game was huge. Every, every city they go to, whether it's Cameron or elsewhere, the stands are packed. They can feed off of the energy of the crowd at home, and they can feed off of the energy of the haters on the road. This year, everyone else, everyone other, every other school, every other school, even Kentucky and UNC, has games where they have, they have to form their own energy because the crowd ain't in it, and the crowd ain't with it. We have never had that issue until this year where there is no crowd to feed off of. And now these guys have to figure out how to channel energy on their own. And that's what they're struggling at. They're having growing pains with that. And that's, if you look at it from that context, it's understandable. But that is where we're at right now is that every other team can say, oh, I can generate energy like that. We do it all the time. Duke has never had to do that. And so we're learning that on the fly. Well, and by the way, you know, we talked about the fact that there, there was a small crowd for Virginia Tech. I, I, I actually wonder if, I think Duke gets some energy, you know, when the crowd is working against them. Um, and we did not get that against Virginia Tech. Like when, when Hurt hit the three-pointer to make it a one-point game, if there had been a crowd, we would have silenced the crowd. And we would be generating some, I'll call it FU energy toward that crowd. And I think you all know what the FU stands for. But there was no one there for us to generate that energy toward. So you, you didn't, you know, when, when, when the audience deflates because you're making a run at them on the road, you inflate a little bit. Well, there was no deflation because there was no one there to be deflated. There's and, no jersey popping if there's no one to pop a jersey at. Right. And that's the, and that's the issue, right? Like it, there'd be time. I mean, just imagine how many times JJ Reddick walked into a gym and had 15, 20,000 people yelling F you JJ at him. And he was just like, Oh man, I'm going to drop 40 tonight. And you knew it. Everyone on the team knew it. And they knew, Hey, and, and sometimes you just hear it. Like I, you know, I play college, you know, I didn't play college, but I played, you know, high school. And there'd be times where it's the same thing. People were coming to hate us and you could hear it in the locker room. And all of a sudden, like our coach just say, shut them the F up. And you're like, bet let's go. We don't have that anymore because there's no lot. The locker room is quiet. You come out on the court, it's quiet, and you have to channel that energy. And we're not ha we're having trouble doing that. If we get that, if we get to that point, that is where the season is going to turn around. I don't know if it's going to be this next game, but 
I think the one game that I will be looking forward to is if they reschedule Florida State because Florida State was playing with quite a few people in the stands. That would have been where that energy, the first time this year that the energy could have been silenced. And I think that is where if we can figure out how to do that without fans in stands, that's when everything's going to start turning around. Okay, guys, we're, we're about ready to wrap up this game, but because it is the only game of the week, we're going to do our player of the week. It's the middle of the week, but I, I think there's a pretty good chance Duke won't be playing this weekend. <laughs> so let's go ahead and do our player of the week. Donald, I'll go to you first. Uh, player of the week, player of the game, same thing. Who, who do you like? Who do you got? Okay, before we do this, we have to get this out there, Jason. You knew it was coming. Oh, boy. Uh, la- last time, you know, we, you know, Sam and I picked Matthew Hurt. I believe you picked uh, DJ Stewart or Jeremy Roach. Uh, correct uh, no, me? no. I picked Jordan Goldwire. Jordan Goldwire. Okay, which is fine. But the National Player of the Week and the ACC Player of the Week was Matthew Hurt. So I'm not saying that to dish you, Jason. I'm saying that the standards of the Duke Basketball Report Player of the Week are higher than anything that you will ever experience. So if we pick something and the national media decides to pick someone else, don't worry about it. Jason has higher standards, and he, and he knows what he's looking for. So with that in mind, I'm going to go with the National Player of the Week, Matthew Hurt. He had a double-double last night, and I'm not, I'm not you know, shaking the other guys, uh, DJ Stewart and Jeremy Roach, who both had great games as well. Uh, but Matthew Hurt has been our guy. He's been our go-to guy, and he proved that last night. If we had won that game, it would have been because of Matthew Hurt. So I- I'm going with him. Okay, so uh, because partially because I was so monumentally wrong <laughs> on my Player of the Week last week, I will also select Matthew Hurt for player of the week this week. Um, and and I, I want to apologize to Matthew for not taking him last week when he won national player of the week. Wow. That's quite an honor for him. Uh, only and, the fifth guy, only fifth Duke guy, I believe under coach K to ever get that award. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a big deal. And he had a great game in a game where Duke could not hit anything. He was the only guy who was hitting anything. So he, he's my player of the week player of the game. Sam wrap it up for us. Who you got? Let's make it unanimous with apologies to Jeremy Roach and Joey Baker in his few minutes of really excellent play. I think. Thank you for Matt mentioning Hurt, Joey Baker. Yes. I, yeah. I think that I think that Matt Hurt was the end-to-end best player in this game, even though it wasn't a complete performance by any Duke player. And speaking to his winning that national award this week and an ACC Player of the Week, I think that there's there's a bit of momentum gaining behind Matthew Hurt being on track to potentially be an All-American this year. Something that going into the season, we talked about like, oh, Matt Hurt might be Duke's best player. Jalen Johnson might be Duke's best player. Wendell Moore might be Duke's best player for sort of all-around performance. But to this point in the season, it's certainly been Hurt. And I think we need to keep that momentum going. Uh, What's more, it is worth reminding folks, when the media voted on ACC preseason, you know, all ACC teams, Matthew Hurt was, was not picked for any of the three preseason All-ACC teams. That, that seems like a joke at this point. He's the front runner for ACC Player of the Year, and he is at least, you know, currently uh, virtually a lock to be All-ACC. All right, so we're almost done, but Sam has something he wants to discuss with us. Uh, it has to do with the crazy stuff that happens when the basketball game is not being shown on TV. Sam? All right, so... I have been watching most of the games this year on a Hulu Live account, and I've been seeing a ad. It's it's shown up repeatedly at Duke Games. I think it's probably just all over ESPN properties for this product called the Kicker Ball, 
And I think both of you indicated to me that you've seen this commercial, but I will describe it for anybody who hasn't seen it for some reason. So the kicker ball looks like a soccer ball. I think it might come in different colors, but it effectively looks like a soccer ball and it has been engineered to bend more than a normal soccer ball does. So I know that Donald is, is really the soccer expert for this podcast. My understanding of the physics of a soccer ball is that it's fairly easy to kick it straight. It is difficult to kick it in a way that makes it curve or bend and that being able to curve or bend the soccer ball is advantageous because you can sort of get it around guys when you're kicking a, a corner kick or even when you're coming from straight on. So it is beneficial to be able to bend a soccer ball. It is weird to me that there is a product that allows you to bend the ball more than would be normal. I don't know what the purpose of that would be as like a training tool. I guess it's more fun and more random if you're like on the field with some kids, but as like a serious training thing, it seems like a ridiculous product. What I was thinking is what would happen if there was a, would a product like this be effective in a basketball setting? And if not, can we try to imagine a product that has some other physical property <laughs> that would make it more advantageous in basketball that would make basketball more like cheating. Well, so I so, wish people, I wish people could see me. I just, the, the, the idea of a basketball that sort of moves randomly, like basketball with a knuckleball. It's, yeah, like, it's a, it's a it basket makes me knuckleball. laugh so much. I'm laughing so hard. I would say, I would say it's like, it, it's almost like in, in baseball, you don't have, there's no baseball that does that, but there is a wiffle ball, right? And wiffle ball is his own little thing. This is my like more like a game. It's like yes, it's like soccer, but it's not. It's not soccer. W what game would basketball have that you could sit there like? I could just imagine like you know you're playing and you're like, oh man, three seconds left. I got the ball at the inbound. I'm gonna throw a length of the court pass and it diverts fifty yards to the right. Like what? what <laughs> or what, what if what it? Even... Or what if the a basketball could react like a super ball where you throw it on the ground and then when it bounces, it like gains speed after it after it makes contact like can you imagine the kinds of passes that guys would would attempt if they could if they could just like flick the ball at the ground and then it would bounce way higher if it was just... a real life if it was a real life nba jam like that would be cool like if you know it has like as soon as as soon as you hit two like the ball yells out he's he's heating up and like you hit a third one it's like he's on fire and it becomes it becomes a, a flame ball and all of a sudden every time you shoot it goes in I, i'm just if, picturing i'm picturing I mean, Duke has had trouble shooting three-pointers. I'm picturing DJ Stewart trying to shoot a ball that, that curves randomly one way or another. <laughs> it doesn't seem like an effective tool for basketball, but but I would like to to put it into effect. I'd like to see a, a some kind of exhibition with the kicker ball or something like the kicker ball in a basketball setting. I will say this. The, the commercial I have seen in the past, I have not seen them during these things. And I'm glad you mentioned that you're on Hulu Live because for me, I watch on YouTube TV. I will tell you the commercial that I see when I say you every it's not just every commercial break. Sometimes it is the commercial break Packer and Durham, the show that's on ACC network. Yeah. I, I, I think commercial. everyone's getting that yes. one. If you're watching yeah. on, on any kind of ACC property. No, but here's the thing I like on the ACC network, like whenever a game is on ACC network, that is literally the only commercial I'll see. They will show the same commercial every single commercial break six times. And sometimes it's just a still image of Packer and Durham just sitting there looking at the TV and it just has Packer Durham on the right. So I've never seen the show. I know, I know Mike Packer is Billy Packer's son. Uh, I have my thoughts on Billy Packer, but I, I will say this. I'm tired of seeing that commercial. Give me the kicker ball. Give me uh, iced tea. Or just in, play in a, a Bojangles ad. Like, isn't, play this, isn't this the ACC network? Yeah, make right? me hungry. Can't they, like, come can't on they, now. 
can't they play a Bojangles ad and a Food Lion ad and 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 that that'll be the like that's the ACC that yeah just show me those I and and look I don't live in in Bojangles country anymore so I would love to see a more ads for for the tailgate special I don't even you know? see the ACC commercials like you know the the ones with all the all the teams I don't see the the specific school ones like the we are Duke commercial that, you know, everyone, you know, has opinions on. I never see that anymore during football. I'll see it, you know, 15 times, but now it's just, it literally is just packing a Durham. I have to change the channel. If I want to see another commercial like ice tea and, and doing car insurance or something like that, I got to change the channel. So like, I don't know what Packer Durham is, is selling for ad spots, but I mean, somebody buy an ad spot on ACC network, please. Uh, gentlemen, this is why I start watching my Duke games about 15 to 20 minutes after the game has already begun, because I fast forward through most of those commercials. Uh, and then I watch the second, the second half I watch live, but the first half fast forward through those commercials, baby, all the way. I, there's too many people texting me during the game for that to happen. Please email us dbrpodcast at gmail.com. If you have thoughts about the kicker ball and other ideas that you would like to see put into practice in basketball games that are like the kicker ball. It doesn't have to be exactly that, but I'm trying to come up with products that would make basketball more ridiculous. I will, I will also go on record. If someone wants to send us the kicker ball, at least if you want to send me the kicker ball, I will try to see how it works on a basketball court. I know this is going to go terribly, but if someone wants to, I'm not going to pay money to see this happen, but if someone wants to send me a kicker ball, I will go to the local basketball court and I will shoot baskets and see how this thing bends. I will do the same thing. And I am, I'll, I'll, I'll give the caveat that I am a bad, I'm not a, I'm not a like, okay. Basketball player. I'm a very bad basketball player. <laughs> I understand the mechanics of making a shot. I am not good at executing it, but send me a kicker ball and I will go play with it on the basketball hoop. Well, if you're a bad shooter, maybe a ball that moves where you don't want it to go would be helpful. Adding randomness to the game, I think, would help me be a better basketball player. There we go. Uh, like Sam said, we want you to reach out to us. Uh, please email us, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Like and subscribe and leave us a five-star review. I haven't checked the reviews lately, guys. I need to go out and look at the reviews. Maybe we will discuss reviews again this weekend. But leave us a five-star review and we will read it here on the air. Um, but that's going to do it here for episode 270 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We'll be back this weekend. We have more news to discuss, and we will be previewing next week's games, assuming that they happen. Um, uh, for for uh, Sam and Donald, I am Jason. Thanks for tuning in. And here's the Duke band to play us out and take us home. My question is, if we were to have a kicker ball in basketball, what would it do? Because like, I don't see much, I don't see much point of a, it would, like, it would, it would go in. Like, do you want a ball? Do you want a ball? That, well, but like, even with the kicker ball, one of the, one of the things that sucks about it is that like, you can't, it doesn't seem like there's much control. Like the thing is like, so out of control that like, it's like having a knuckleball in baseball. Like, yes, it's nice that you can do it. Um, see, I didn't want to ruin this reaction, but <laughs> We're gonna, let's talk about it. <laughs> let's just, just wait. Let's just, let's, just, let's just go off top. I'm, let's just do it off top. Jason, I'm, could you make that laugh organic when we do this again? Uh, I'm picturing. <laughs> <laughs>
TJ Stewart shooting in the ball just goes all kinds of crazy or 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 just imagine that Zion block against Virginia and it just oh. like pirouettes into the crowd. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, shut up. We're we're leave this for the show. <laughs> okay. I'm so mad show. that I ruined that reaction. I didn't know that Jason was going to react that well to it. <laughs> I didn't either, actually. So. <laughs> All right.